So, I have one question for you before I begin. Are you Team Bach or Team Coward? Bach said, without my morning coffee, I'm just like a dried up piece of goat. While Noel Coward asked, why do I drink champagne for breakfast? Doesn't everyone? So how do you wake up in the morning? I'm Susan Schwartz, your drinking companion, and this is Lush Life Podcast. Every week we are inspired to live life one cocktail at a time. Sponsored by Tanqueray Gin, I was joined at the final Lush Life Book Club at Oriole Bar in London by Pippa Guy, the brand ambassador of Tanqueray Gin, and Jason Clark, brand ambassador of Talisker Whiskey, to reveal their secrets to writing a cocktail book. Both former guests on this very podcast. Pippa's book, Let's Get Physical, is an inspiring mix of classic cocktail recipes, such as bellinis and mimosas, and offers tips, tricks, presentation ideas, and technical know-how to make your cocktails as sensational for the eye as they are for the palate. Jason recently designed and launched his first cocktail book, The Art and Craft of Coffee Cocktails, to inspire bartenders to care more about coffee and baristas to get more creative with coffee mixology. If you want to hear how they got where they did, you'll have to catch up on Lush Life. Jason's episode is 104, How to Love the Things You Hated as a Child, and Pippa's is number 171, How to Make History. Now you know everything, so let's get started. Please join me in welcoming my two past guests on the show, Pippa Guy, brand ambassador of Tanqueray Gin, and Jason Clark, brand ambassador of Talisker Whiskey. We're here to discuss Pippa's book, Let's Get Physical, and it's an inspiring mix of classic cocktail recipes such as bellinis and mimosas, and offers tips, tricks, presentation ideas, and technical know-how to make your cocktails as sensational for the eye as they are for the palate. Next, we have Jason. He recently designed and launched his first cocktail book, The Art and Craft of Coffee Cocktails, to inspire bartenders to care more about coffee and baristas to get more creative with coffee mixology. So we have two powerhouses here who have written their own books. So let's jump in and find out why you even wanted to write a book in the first place. So why don't we start with Pippa? I was going to say, so I guess for me, actually, it wasn't something that I initiated. Fortunately, Dorothy Kinsey, the publishing house, approached me and they came to me January 2018, so actually not that long ago, although it feels a very long time ago, and said, we want somebody to write a book on fizz, fizzy cocktails. Is that something that you'd be interested in? Is it something that you're passionate about? And I actually, I remember when I first got the email, I was really convinced that it was spam. I was at home, it was just after Christmas, and I showed it to my mum and I was like, what do you think of this? Someone's having a joke here, right? Because it looked like, you know, sometimes you get these dodgy phishing emails that come through. And she was like, well, I don't know. Why don't you just email back and figure it out? And to begin with, I was really not adamant that I didn't want to do it. It's just something that I never planned on doing. And it felt like a lot of work at a time of my life when I was super, super busy. And I was like, how on earth am I going to fit this into a schedule that is already overly full? So I was kind of adamant that I didn't really want to do it. And my mum was like, stuff like this doesn't really just land on your doorstep you know, day in, day out, so consider it. 
So I slept on it for a few weeks and then got back to them and was like, okay, tell me, how do I do this? I guess was the, the start. And Jason? Yeah, very, very different story to Pippa. I was living in Dubai and I've always had a passion for writing. I've written a few cocktail articles for newspapers over the years. I hadn't done anything for a while in Dubai. There's not a lot of drinks media out there. And I was looking at doing one project, which was very, very different. And I'd started sort of drafting it up and it was a bit too ambitious, wasn't quite working for me. And then I was managing world-class UAE at the time. And I designed a coffee cocktail program. And as I was doing all the toolkits for it and that, I sort of realized, geez, I've actually got quite a bit of info on this topic. It's really interesting. And actually there's nothing else out there that really covers it as comprehensively as, as what I could probably do. So why don't I give it a go? And, and I just, yeah, put my head down and got stuck into it. And the more I started coming together, the more excited and addicted to it. I think I was aiming for about 60 pages to, I think, 210. Is that and all the coffee? All the coffee just got carried away, yeah, just <laughs> right in the way. Um, yeah, so it was all just began, it became a real journey. Originally, I was going to self-publish, and then I felt that the material was, was good enough, and, and I got some demo photos done. I felt that it was good enough to go find a publisher which would get a the exposure that I think it, I hoped it would deserve. And yeah, so it was a, a big journey to then get published from there. Well, what, what was your relationship to the liquid itself? Were you a huge coffee fan? Were you drinking champagne like crazy or fizzy drinks? I mean, what, did you even have a relationship with this drink before? Yes and no. Champagne something that was never part of my life. Prior to moving to this, I moved from Savoy in 2015, so I was 23 at the time. And obviously, no 23-year-olds really have champagne budgets, do they? Or maybe they do, who knows? But I remember I actually hadn't drank proper champagne before going to Savoy. And I remember Nereus, one of my former colleagues, if anyone has ever met Nereus, he's not a person that you forget very quickly. And after my first shift, he was like, darling, are we going for champagne? Working in an environment where we did a lot of champagnes by the glass, there was a lot of champagne available to say, like, Tasting and learning was part of the job and it's something that I really enjoyed. And I guess that was like what kind of sparked the passion initially. And how about you and coffee? Yeah, I've, um, well, coming from New Zealand, we have a, an amazing coffee industry out there. For thinking really premium for, for a long time. And so growing up in hospitality, even from a young age, I always had a very high standard of making coffee. So sort of fell in love with it. And, and in New Zealand, you make a, an average coffee, it's, it's going to get sent back. So you have to be on your game with the milk and, and you know, the extraction and everything. So yeah, and I've always been more focused on cocktails, but I love the precision and the challenge of trying to make the perfect coffee every time. And then as I worked in bars over the years, I've always looked to have a signature coffee cocktail on my menu you know, whether it's, this is before the espresso martini had kicked off, you know, I'm talking about early 2000s. It had been invented, but it hadn't really boomed. And so I've always designed various things to have a, a little bit of coffee on the menu to perk people up. And so I've actually built quite a repertoire of coffee cocktails. So then when it came to doing this thing for world class and writing the book, I was pulling out old notebooks and I had all these great coffee cocktails ready to go, thankfully. Well, you touched on it a little, Jason, but you both were at that time that you, that you created these books working like crazy. I mean, all hours. 
uh, for anyone who really wants to write a book out there, you know, where did you find the time and how did you do it, really? You know, did you weekends, nights? I mean, I, I know it's really different. Can you talk me through the actual technique you used to get the job done? I wouldn't say there was much technique to it on, on my behalf. Yeah, like I kind of already said at the time, like I was really super busy. So we'd won World's Best Bar November 2017 and had the busiest November, December. As you kind of always do in bars anyway, that time of year is just like back up against the wall. You don't really do anything else but work and sleep. So when it got through to January, I was a bit like, you know, stars in my eyes trying to sort of figure out what was going on. I had loads of international guest shifts as well planned over the next sort of six months. And they said, this is very much like we want to publish by November. So this is, we started talking in January. I had the book finished by... June for feedback a month later everything went to press the end of July and it was published the beginning of November so it was really a super tight turnaround I basically sort of really made a decision with myself like am I going to do this or am I not because if I am it's going to be pretty whole consuming so quite like a grown-up decision I guess to make for a 26 year old just turned 26 at the time I knew that I was going to have to say no to a lot of social things, miss quite a lot of birthdays. And actually, like, I kind of knew at the time, I was like, I know I'll look back on it in a few years and I won't remember the things that I'd missed, but it's very hard to know at that time that you're going to miss out on stuff and that you have to, would spend eight hours on a Saturday and Sunday writing and editing and doing all these things and would be working mostly nights. I requested to work nights, so I'd get up at, like, 10, start working from 11, work from 11 until, like, about 3, go be at work from four, work from four till two, get home at three, sleep till 10, and did that constantly pretty much for six months. So did you have to give them chapters like every two weeks, they wanted this and they wanted this and they wanted this, kind of relentless that way? Yes. They were actually really surprisingly flexible with me. Like I structured most of the book. I didn't find out that ghostwriters were a thing until about three months after we published. And I was like, what do you mean there are people that write for you? <laughs> Absolutely outraged. I kind of set my own targets as well because I knew like what I wanted the sections to be, how I wanted the flow to go. So I kind of set my own targets with like knowing what I was doing as well. So I was like, you know, I'll have section one finished by this time and then I'll be away for two weeks. And I remember we were going to... BCB in Brooklyn at some point like this is coming really towards the end so like beginning of summer so like end of the book and I remember being sat on the plane trying to get on the wi-fi to send this last press thing and Declan was next to me he's like you're not gonna make it you're not gonna make it I'm there like yes I am yes I am yes I am I was like send 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 just made it I was like okay fell asleep the entire flight it's <laughs> like so do you want a drink I was like no <laughs> now Jason so uh, your experience was completely different how did you manage the time to write the book yeah, so, so different. At first, there was no pressure from a publisher because I was looking to do it myself, but I wanted to fly through the material. But I'd, I'd already created this toolkit to teach bartenders. The original world-class thing I was designing was for bartenders to be able to create their own signature coffee cocktail. And to do that, getting to know the coffee, getting to know the consumer, and then how to bring that to life. And so I actually managed to sort of copy and paste a bit of stuff from that, I wrote the ultimate contents how it, uh, and, you know, by knowing the contents and I could work out what I needed. And, but yeah, that just ballooned and, and grew as I went through. I was like, I really could do with filling that gap and I should do this. But 
Yeah, I was working full-time in Dubai, luxury brands ambassador. And fortunate thing out there is, well, the weather is, you know, incredibly hot for seven months of a year. And I'd been there about two years. And, you know, if you're in Dubai, if you're not in an office or a home, you're in a bar. And, and I was generally in bars, you know, I was in bars a lot for work. But when I come home, instead of playing PlayStation or watching TV or something, it was like, right, I'm going to sit at my desk. I'm going to pour a coffee and I'm going to just get stuck into it. And so it was really about evenings for me and just churning out in evenings. And then as I realized I need to fill gaps with drinks, I'd be like, I've got to test these out. So I would sort of take over my workspace on weekends or times when I wasn't needed, loo days or whatever. And I would go and set up cocktail stuff and buy ingredients and design drink and go, cool, okay, that's going in the book. And I'd draft it down, take it home plug it in. But yeah, I had a lot of experimentation to did do. Did you put a time limit on yourself? No, I, I don't know if I did. Maybe I did. I was just, I got addicted to it. I really enjoyed it. And I, was, and I knew if I took my foot off a of gas that it would, I might fizzle out and, and run out of steam and, and, and lose track. So I just really pushed. And then when I decided I wanted a publisher, that really put the pressure on. And, and I, I pitched it to Close, I probably sent 100 emails to publishers and mostly didn't hear back anything or, you know, rejection letters and that. And then I found the publisher I really, really wanted. I, I harassed them. And I actually came over here for a trip for Christmas and New Year's Eve to party, really, and sit, see some friends. And I had a meeting. I managed to book a meeting with a publisher. And I was like, right, this is my, my money shot mode. I've got to sell this in. And I basically got the manuscript I'd done and I got it printed up put some beautiful photos in it and gave them almost a, a real taste of what the finished product could be and when they got that in their hands and saw it they were like sold okay that's pretty cool like you now you've got that was a Christmas 2017 and I was published September 2018 so like yeah that's I had it, I had yeah, eight months really to bosh out the rest mm-hmm. Did you ever find it difficult to keep up your motivation, not knowing that you had a definite publisher signed? I can like just trying to picture myself in that situation where you'd like maybe get tired or be like, oh, do I want to go to this event or do I want to sit and write? I don't know if it's not a guaranteed thing. Was there ever a time where you lost the motivation for it? That's why I asked about a time, you know, yeah. your own time limit too. Yeah, I think I I would wane a little bit, but I I just got this really focused in on wanting to bring it to life and as I I got a, a local photographer a young guy as a student who just sort of graduated and got him to do a few photos and I and they came out stunningly beautiful they're in the book now and I was like wow I've got to bring this to life and that's just really really motivated me but yeah I mean I, the, on the motivation thing I've, I sort of announced I was going to do a second book back in lockdown and that hasn't quite <laughs> progressed as I would have liked because I haven't had that, that, those, that pressure on, I guess. We won't hold you to that tonight, so don't worry about that. Uh, now, you both wrote cocktail books, and there are some incredible cocktail books out there, historically, as you well know, of course, from the Savoy. Were there any cocktail books that influenced you? Yeah, I mean, for obvious reasons, the Savoy cocktail book was a massive help to me. Yeah, it's been a, a big part of my life growing up through through the bartending ranks, I guess. So that was incredibly useful. There's also another really cool book 
called A Seat at the Bar. I can't remember. It's from a bar in Melbourne that now I can't remember what it's called. I want to say the Everly. But it's a really cool book, so it basically goes through and describes drinks and it's like, if you have this ingredient, this ingredient, this ingredient, and you swap this, it then becomes a this cocktail. So that was really helpful. So a lot of the drinks in my book, they wanted like a classic and then, so like a classic Bellini and then two other variations. So how could you change this? So the classic is with peach and then like either the Bellini and a cranberry or something. So with swapping one ingredient, what changes? How does it become a different drink? And I found it really fascinating because there's so many classic cocktails, particularly in like the whiskey department where you just swap one drink one ingredient and it becomes an entirely different classic cocktail. So I found that really useful for me. And Jason? Um, the first thing that motivated me was the fact that there wasn't anything in my category. So that was like, right, I'm going to fill this gap. But there's a book by, I guess she's a bartender slash botanist called Lottie Muir. And she wrote uh, Wild Cocktails. It was with the same publisher. And she had simple drinks with a nice sort of natural wild ingredients and I liked the yeah the format and and the styling so I almost took picked up her book and said okay I'm going to format mine like this and then I'm going to lay it out and design it like that and I'm going to target like publish that publisher and and basically if I give them a demo of it almost fitting their format then it's almost hard for them to say no because of done half the work for them in a way. So that was a smart. a big one. But images and things like the Death & Co, beautiful cocktail book. But yeah, I think... Any historical ones, I guess, in your career maybe that you were always drawn to and you always had a copy of in your, you know, in your house while you were starting your career? I've got lots of lots and lots of classic books and lots of great ones, but none of them... I didn't really format mine on or, or take inspiration from any in particular. King Cocktail, Dea de Groff, uh, Salvatore Calabresi, classic cocktails. But, yeah, nothing directly, I would say. Mm-hmm. Who did you expect your audience to be? What kind of person were you thinking that you were talking to? Well, mine was definitely aimed completely not at the bartending crowd. It was 100% a book for... And the sort of reason why I published the beginning of November was it was supposed to be like a stocking filler for the Christmas that year, you know aunt, uncle, whoever, that liked their fizz and wanted to know a little bit more about how do you play around with that. I think one of the best compliments that I've had on the book from one of my mum's friends was she said the diagrams are really useful because they kind of break down visually how much of each ingredient should go in the glass. And I was like, I didn't really think about that when that wasn't done on purpose, but she was like, I'm a very visual person. Text isn't like I struggle with it. So actually to see that if I'm making a Bellini, that it should be like this much purian, this much bubbles, that's really helpful. So Yeah, for those of you who haven't read the book, each cocktail is kind of architecturally done. So you see the portion of of gin or the portion of fizz, whatever it is, it's it's quite architectural. Yeah, that was definitely not done on purpose, but definitely probably one of the most beneficial accidental things happened for the beginner crowd, I guess. Yeah, I was trying to tick all the boxes, really. I, I... Wanted to inspire bartenders to care more about coffee. You know, most bartenders have a coffee machine in the bar. Don't give a shit about quality coffee. And, um, and it could be dis- disappointing, you know, trying to get a good coffee in advance. And I wanted them to, to care more about the coffee. I wanted them to get more creative and know there's so much more out there than the Irish coffee 
and the espresso martini. So I wanted this wow factor for them. I wanted to, to educate them about coffee, how to use it in cocktails, and inspire them to go crazy because my my book's got over 75 recipes, but I think, you know, there's it's infinite the amount of recipes and where people can take it. So I wanted to blow them away and get them inspired, but I also wanted baristas to to get more interesting with coffee drinks. You know, every drink's got alcohol in it in the book, but I think they could have some more fun in, in, in cafes. And I wanted consumers to have a piece of eye candy they could sort of get and go, wow, these are really cool. When I go to bars, I'm going to look for more interesting coffee cocktails and challenge baristas and challenge bartenders. Um, and I structured it from each chapter. We did it by method. Each chapter starts with the easiest drink and works way through the most complex. I gave it a rating out of one to three. So you could open the book and say, okay, this is a beginner drink. I'll, I'll give this a go. Or it's an intermediate or it's really advanced. And yeah, as a bit of a guideline for people so they could find their way through, I guess. The photos are insane. I mean, every single one, you just want to reach into the book and take that cocktail out and drink it. They are fabulous. So where did you find the photographer? How You, you mentioned it a little. Did, was it a pal? I tried through work. I tried to grab someone that I was, was in an agency that we worked with. He was unavailable, recommended this young kid. He was from Ukraine and didn't speak much English, but I got him in. And one of the key things for me with cocktails is you've got to, you've got to capture it now. Like you've got 10 seconds really to capture it with foams and textures and things. And he was just on the ball and really sharp, even with the communication problems. And first day we did, I think we got six cocktails done. And by the end of it, we were getting 24 drinks done in like a six, seven hour session because we were just just boshing them out. And after that first shot, I knew, right, he's the guy I want. Let's work a deal out. I'm going to pay you. You're going to get, you know, I'm going to pay you out of my own pocket. I don't have a book deal or anything. But if I get these images done, I know that a publisher will, will, will back me and they will come through in the end and it all paid off. And, and Pivot, were you able to work with the photographer as well? Yes, so I used a guy called William Raval. Um, he's actually a food photographer. He's done a lot of the food. Um, DK have a lot of food cookbooks. Done some work with Mary Berry and a few other people like that. That are the like DK crowd of publishers. And he was really good. I'd not done hardly any drink styling or shooting or anything at that time. If I knew then what I knew now about how, how difficult or easy some things can be. Yeah, it would be very useful. But obviously, you know, life is a brand ambassador. You end up doing lots of shoots and other things here and there. So I've learned a lot more now. But yeah, he was really good. He was very visual, very artistic. And he actually has a studio in South London, which is great for me as well, because I was um, trading off shifts at the time to like, get the days off to get these photos done. We did them all in three days. So I drew two 17-hour shifts in a row, Tuesday, Wednesday, so that I could have the Thursday, Friday off to do this. So... I remember getting in on the first day and they were like, oh, we'd like to see your portraits. And I'd like just dragged myself out of bed for like my second five hour sleep in a row and was like, I just washed my hair, hadn't brushed it, hadn't no makeup on. I was like, really? <laughs> now? Just take a picture of the cocktails. Right? Yeah, I was like, you edit the bags, like, get them out. 
Um, I remember really hating all of them at the time. Like now I love it. I can probably tell that I was tired then. Now, Pippa, did you have much control over what cocktails you could put in the book? Were they 100% your choice? Yeah, completely. When there's a few sort of obvious classics that they really wanted in there, Bellini, Aperol Spritz, Nomesa, et cetera. So we kind of broke them down into the 10, the first section of 10, which is like the kind of famous aperitifs, I guess. Then the middle section was classics, but they all had, or the majority of them all had one or two twists at least, plus maybe a non-alcoholic version. And then the last, I think, five or 10 were all my own creations. So I got a lot of creativity in there as well. Obviously, there's lots of classic fizzy cocktails. There's quite a lot of stuff that's already been covered to get in there. But I wanted to make sure there was room for me to put some of my recipes in as well. I didn't want it to just be all other people's work. And what would have been really interesting at the time, this is just after the massive Prosecco boom and everyone was loving fizzy, fizzy drinks, fizzy cocktails. Now, in the last year, maybe, there's been a huge rise in non-alcoholic fizz. And it would have been really interesting at the time if that could be something that I could have included, but it wasn't really a thing then. So you really sort of come into fruition in the last, I guess, six months or a year. The next book. Uh-huh. Now, Jason, you have so many cocktails in the book. How did you confine yourself just to the ones that you have when it sounds like you just could have gone on forever making cocktails? I mean, which ones did you start with and then grow into having really yeah it was it was tough i was just trying to get content down really having ideas and and felt i would write out the recipe and almost feel like it was going to be in the book before i'd even made it and so then over the next weekend i'd get the ingredients test it out or or even make it directly for the photographer capture it and then make taste it myself and then make some adjustments to it and then then it was in but there's, there's about well maybe six drinks that didn't make didn't make the cut just because i didn't have enough space with the publisher but yeah i wanted i did work that i wanted to do by method so hey. shaken hot oh, what do we do built and hot yeah built stirred and blended and i just found each chapter needed to have the, the sort of the right amount you need i needed the each one would start with a classic so this fresco martini is the first shaken drink of course and then i just go crazy with things really and there's some really weird and wonderful stuff that you can't really categorize other than it's a shake and drink but it was about having fun and showing experience and showing the creativity with it I guess. Well let's go into some of the ones that you created yourselves so let's see what do we have here so why don't we uh, start with the blueberry bellini so how did you um, create that? Um, what do you think? I guess there's a lot of categories of a lot of the drinks in the book, I spent a lot of time just throwing fizz in cocktails that already existed to see if it worked, if you could make it fizzy. So like French martini and Southside, you know, it's, there's lots of things that by just throwing a little bit of fizz in changes the drink completely. Bellini was a really fun one because that kind of works with everything. And part of the beginning of the book was sections on things like how to stir, how to shake. Um, and then there's a bit about we wanted to make sure that people could make all of the ingredients or the majority of the ingredients that were in the recipes so you didn't look at it and think like I don't have blueberry puree how on earth do I make this I have no idea so at the start of the book there's a section on infusions and purees and syrups etc blueberry blueberry bellini 
card talk was actually something that I made for my mum and her friends. Although they wouldn't let me say this in the book at the time, I was a bit sad. But one of the things that my mum absolutely loves is blueberries. So just one of the fruits that I kind of experimented with in the, in the puree department. You can imagine the state of my kitchen as we're going through making all of these things. So yeah, it's nice to kind of look to the people in your life as well for a little bit of inspiration sometimes as well. Absolutely. And Jason, how about your Beats by Jay? Uh, I love that one. <laughs> Beats by Jay. Yeah, that was a drink. I, I wanted One of the big messages in the book I wanted to get across was that coffee doesn't need to be the main flavor. You know, espresso martini, Irish coffee, there's no mistake in that. Those are coffee drinks and, and you're going to be, you drink those, you're going to be buzzing and you might only want one or two. So I wanted to do drinks that use coffee as a more delicate modifier and allowed, and the coffee, the flavors of the coffee selected would pair with the other ingredients. So that's essentially a whiskey sour with the earthy flavors of beetroot, raspberry and hibiscus, which were notes I pulled out of this particular type of coffee and the coffee element, just a small amount to, to, to match the flavors and give you, you know, a little bit of a caffeine buzz without that full-blown overload of caffeine. Yeah. Right, we'll do one more, one, more, one more each. The Prosecco Mojito. Yes, yeah, so like I said, it was supposed to be a book for the general public, not for bartenders. So one of the things that the publisher was really keen on doing is taking drinks that people already know and love and making them fizzy, I guess. So trying to make all these kind of classic cocktails and things that people recognize. There's always a category of drinks where I'm sure any bartenders in the room, you know, if you have a make a mojito, you can guarantee that your next four or five checks are going to have a mojito on them because everyone's, I know it, I trust it, I know I like it. So mojito is one of the drinks we did two or three variations of as well because it's something that's accessible to people, I guess. Absolutely. And how about death by caffeine? Oh, so yeah, this this is probably the most one of the most crazy drinks on there put it up on my instagram yesterday it's amazing the comments i get around it and that it was originally designed for a cocktail competition and i used an easter egg and i put a, a hole in the easter egg sat it in a bowl with a dry ice vapor and i you put the cocktail inside the easter egg and easter egg's a chocolate it's a great vessel for a cocktail so you put a funnel in drop the cocktail in, you put a foam on it, pop a straw in, and then when you drink it, you're sipping this first layer of sort of coffee cocktail, and then, oh, there's this different texture comes through when you hit the foam, and then the idea is you crack it open, eat the chocolate to finish the experience. And that drink I did for a competition, did really well, and then I evolved it over years. I had it on menus and bars that I worked in, and it was so cool, you'd bring it out. So it's a, a chocolate sphere, and we worked out a way of pre-batching it so you could serve it quickly with chocolate sphere, flick it with a blowtorch to, to make it sticky, put magic dust all over it, bring it out to the guests with a coffee, dry ice, vapor under a cloche, and you bring it out, and you bring one out into the restaurant, and next minute you're selling you know, five or six of them, and it's just showing off, really. But it's just, just really fun, and that's, for me, I want to inspire people that, think beyond the glass and, and push boundaries and have fun. And for me, you know, I love some of these serious bartender cocktails and how nerdy we can get. But I also love just giving people experiences that make them go, wow, and have fun and, you know, take away some of the pretentious 
you know, element and just get quirky with things. And that's, that's what that was. Well, before we open it to questions, I thought we'd end kind of the same way because this is the last one that I end my podcast, which is I always ask for top tips for the home bartender. And I was wondering if maybe you could give anyone out there a top tip for either working with coffee or working with fizz in a cocktail. Jason, you start this time. Thanks. Um, well, a huge message in the, throughout my book was around... Well, wait, I've got two. One's really quick. Use good coffee, here. but find a coffee you like and then find out how to use it. Second, I'm a huge fan of cold brew coffee, concentrated cold brew coffee, because you can make a large batch, whether it's 500 mils or five liters, and it is more shelf stable. It can keep it in the fridge for two good two weeks. You get consistency, you get speed of service. So I use cold brew a lot and... It, a cold extraction just means you can control the flavors really well. It doesn't oxidize. And particularly in the summer months, I've always got cold brew in my fridge. There's a difference between regular drinking cold brew, which is diluted, and concentrated cold brew, which is closer to espresso. So for cocktails and espresso martini style, good old cold brew coffee is, is a great way to go. Fantastic. Bibba? I don't know. Top tip for the home bartender. By the book. <laughs> All right. And also, if we have any potential authors out there, their top tip for anyone who wants to delve into writing a cocktail book. Don't do it. <laughs> no. no. That's not a good. I don't know. I guess just like stretch your time. Think about it carefully. Set yourself deadlines that you know you can meet, but push yourself as well. I think it's one of these things that it, they always tend to come along at a time when you're super busy because, you know, when you're kind of doing well and you're doing lots of things and you're kind of at the forefront of everyone's vision, that's when it's the best time to do something that's a bit more kind of outrageous and out there, publish your own book. So never underestimate yourself. Don't think that you can't do it. Give it a go. Jason, what do you think? Yeah, you've just got to, if you've got a real vision, you've just got to go guns blazing and really, really go for it. What really helped me was looking through a lot of other books and then working out my format, writing that contents page first and just sort of plowing through it really. And I would say for me, I know a lot of authors would probably just do it as a Word document, but I found it really helpful to do it, to almost lay it out and structure it like the publisher wants to see it. And that just meant when I pitched it to them and showed it to them, they could really see it, feel it, and and it helped me sell it in. And there was, once they saw it, there was no turning back and they helped push me across That's the line. such great advice. Such great advice. All right. So, do we have any questions out there for these two? Yes, Amanda. Let me repeat it. What, Pippa, when you're developing a cocktail, how do you choose which fizz goes with what? That's a great question. So one of the intros that we did in the start of the book, there's about six pages of what essentially is the difference between Champagne, Prosecco, Cava. So that I think that was a good place to start. And then also a top tip for anyone that's thinking about writing a book, buy a whiteboard. I found that really useful to be able to scribble things in and rub them out and change and edit as you go without writing down things and losing documents, etc., which is something that I do a lot of. And then I also started, one of the things that I started doing, writing down flavors for each different style of fizz. And then I realized that there's quite a lot of crossover. So there's actually a nice Venn diagram of three circles of, I think it's like 
champagne, carbon, prosecco, maybe. And like the crossover in the middle of flavors that work with all three, flavors that work with these two, and suggestions for which ones you can swap out for which. So obviously champagne's very expensive, but English sparkling has a very similar flavor profile because of the soils in like the south of England. So making suggestions of which ones you can swap to on a budget that have slightly more friendly, but with a similar kind of profile in the bottle, I guess. Does that answer it? Yeah, I think we're gonna ask Jason that too. There must be a billion different kinds of coffee as well. Yeah, it is tricky and people often think coffee just tastes like coffee, but I guess explore the coffee, try it, and, and try and think about the flavors you've got there and then what's gonna complement those. Or, and if you brew it in a way like a, a filter style, you'll be able to break down the flavors a little bit more and pick those out and then work out what's gonna work. But coffee probably does give you a bit of versatility. Um, it depends on the brew type you're using and read the packet, get a few flavor notes and then yeah, pick, pick quality. Quality. Experimentation. <laughs> And trust, I guess, trust your own taste buds, really. Just trust yeah. what you like. Yeah. Uh, anyone else? Yes. So wait, wait. That, would he ever use gasp decaf? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I have a motto, which is uh, dip before decaf. <laughs> Personally. I guess that answers the question. No, no but, but <laughs> in saying that, my, my wife loves coffee, but she gets heart palpitations from it, and so she can't drink it anymore. And for me, drinking is all about pleasure and flavor. So, yeah, absolutely. I, don't, I didn't feature it in the book, but I've made many things since. And, yeah, if you love the flavor of coffee, then I think you should be able to enjoy coffee cocktails as well so just maybe read some flavor notes and swap it out for something stumbled on a really good co decaf coffee liqueur recently the guys from conquer conquer spirits down in bournemouth and my wife loves that sort of over ice so yeah co cocktails are for everyone and you know feel free to adapt as you, as you need to great anyone yes yes what other tr other cocktail other than a mojito makes the crowds go crazy when you put one out. So I guess Jason kind of touched on this as well with thinking outside of the glass and any kind of serve that's got like either an amazing garnish or a touch of theatres, people pouring stuff table side or cracking the egg or whatever you had to do for yours or anything, you know, kind of with smoke people. I think particularly now on the other side of lockdowns and looking for things that have you know, some character to them, something Instagrammable. Everyone wants to show off what they're drinking, don't they? So there tends to be those kind of things. Now, I guess, like, the mojito reference was maybe something that a few years ago, but I guess that's also about people visually acknowledging something that they know that they like. And obviously, you can kind of tell what a mojito is in any bar at any time. So, yeah, it's that used, used to get it with Cosmos back in the day. We'd um, do the flame zest at the table, and, it's, you know, everybody's seen that now. It's not, it's not, not so wow anymore. Back then, people were like, oh, wow, what's that? Magic. And that would help sell more Cosmos. But it can depend on the environment as well. You know, mojito in the right environment, you just think, it almost reminds you, oh, my God, that would be the perfect, refreshing deliciousness right now. It's, it's about the moment and place. Vibrant colours always seem to do well. Afrol spritz, anything with yeah. a vibrant visual tends mm. to be. People see it going past and they're like, oh, yeah, actually. 
Yeah, I was going to say on the top 10 list right now of popular cocktails, there's a coffee cocktail, espresso martini, and a fizz cocktail, the Aperol Spritz. So obviously there's some, there's a reason why how you, I have you both up here at the same time. Anyone else? Any other questions? Yes. The question was, what was your most memorable coffee slash fizz cocktail experience? First thing for me, I'll never forget being... Oh, I don't know, 15 or so, and having my first ever flat white in New Zealand and uh, just the texture and the creep. I didn't, wasn't really into coffee. I hated making it for my parents when I was a kid. And then the creamy, velvety texture with great crema and that just, just blew my mind and got me started. And then cocktail-wise, there's a bar in New Orleans and they do a Cafe Brulo and it's this big flaming cocktail with cognac and orange zest and they pour coffee in at the end to cool it down and that was just game changing for me this just the theatrics and the fun of it but it's in the book too i i love that you were making coffee for your parents my parents worked in the bar industry and they would always sleep in on the weekends and it was the only way we could get them out of bed to to do anything and this is the reason you wrote a a coffee cocktail book you realize and pippa hopefully you weren't poppy champagne for your parents to get up in the morning I mean, I'm definitely, I don't know, like I have lots of incredible memories of the Savoy and things that went on inside the doors, many of which I can't talk about, but managed to taste some of the most exquisite champagnes. And we'd often do training after shift because bottles are open. And if they're particularly expensive bottles, you know that you might not sell that before it goes off in a day or two's time or goes flat. So actually, a lot of my memories of drinking exquisite champagne is all sat around with our jackets and shirts off, ties undone, sat on the floor in the American bar just drinking really expensive champagne at two o'clock in the morning. So that's probably my, my top. Sorry, one, one more. Oh. Yes. First ever B-52 shot as well. <laughs> when the Grimanier's been as hot and then you got the color in it and that that was a real game changer for me as well i feel like baby guinness is on a comeback as well isn't it mm. is that you did you start that it's <laughs> coffee ice cream for me oh my god i'd love coffee ice cream as a child yes ali if you hadn't written a book on coffee slash fizz would there be any other thing that you would want to write a cocktail book on Yeah, possibly. I don't know. Maybe kind of how you said earlier, maybe non-alcoholic version of this book. There's a lot out there now in that, that world. It's only expanding literally by the minute. So, I mean, apart from that, gin is probably the next thing that I could Just talk okay, about great, great for a long time. But that's the easy one, isn't it? <laughs> uh-huh. And that second book, Jason? Was to hear it now for the first time. I, w- I would really like to do a similar format, but all around Scotch whiskey and, and really dive deep and explore whiskey. There's a real culture with single malt that you, you know, it's blasphemy and sacrilege to put anything in it other than a few drops of water. So I'd love to just really help. Know, I've been doing it for years with, a, with my team and Diageo open people's minds to explore in other flavors with whiskey. Fabulous. Well, I think we have to end it here because of time, but thank you so much for joining me, Pippa and Jason. Let's hear it for them. It was a huge thrill to have my friends Pippa and Jason as guests for Lush Life Book Club. 
Thank you so much to the generosity of Diageo Reserve, Tanqueray Gin, London Cocktail Week, and the Divine Oreo Bar. So to wrap these book clubs up, let's make some cocktails of the week. We have one coffee cocktail and one fizzy cocktail as our cocktails of the week. We start with the coffee and then celebrate with the fizz. Our first is the coffee and tonic. You'll need 45 mils of Tanqueray 10 Gin, 60 mils of cold brew coffee, and 120 mils of premium tonic water. Fill a highball glass with ice cubes, add the gin, coffee, and top up with the tonic. Stir gently, then garnish with a grapefruit zest. For the fizz, let's make the blueberry bellini the Pippa talked about. First, you need to make the blueberry puree by combining 200 grams of blueberries, 200 mils of sugar syrup, and the juice of a quarter of a lemon in a blender and blitz. Then strain it through a fine sieve. Add 25 mils of that gorgeous puree to a mixing glass, then 100 mils of Prosecco. Stir slowly and gently for 15 seconds and strain into a champagne flute. Top up with extra Prosecco if needed. You'll find this recipe and all the cocktails of the week at alushlifemanual.com, where you'll find all the ingredients in our shop. I've got a cold. Thank goodness it's not COVID. But one month without a mask and we're all getting colds. So keep washing those hands. So if you live for Lush Life, make sure you head out to the bars and restaurants you love and tell them how much you love them. Theme music for Lush Life is by Stephen Shapiro and used with permission. And Lush Life is always and will be forever produced by Evo Terra and Simpler Media Productions. Which leaves me to say the wise words of Oscar Wilde, all things in moderation, including moderation. And always drink responsibly. I have not yet begun to fight, said the American naval officer John Paul Jones. And that was even before he had a rom named after him. What was he doing with all his time? We'll find out next week. Until that time, bottoms up. Bottoms up.